Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Bone health for runners is a really important topic. Using nutrition, supportive exercise and lifestyle factors can help prevent bone stress injuries and also protect bone health in older age, so you can enjoy your running for years to come. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionist friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalized sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. and welcome back. I'm Karen and I'm here as always with Aileen. Hi Aileen, how are you today? Oh, I'm great. Thank you, Karen. Looking forward to having a nice chat. Yeah, absolutely. It's always great to get together and discuss the the different topics. And our topic today is about bone health um, for runners. And, And I do think that really nobody starts to think about their bone health until unfortunately they've They've had an accident or suffer um, an injury, and then all of a sudden their focus is on um, healing quickly so that they can get back to their their training, whatever their training may be. And for us and, and our listeners, it's very much about the running and getting back to the running. And I think maybe also as we start to get older, we're probably a bit more aware that bone health may start to deteriorate. So perhaps it's maybe then that it gets onto our health radar, um, especially sort of like our age, Aileen, we're sort of approaching or in that middle age. And I think that's maybe when people start to think about it a bit more. So Aileen, thinking about that and our age um, now and the topic of today, um, has this ever been an issue for you? Has bone health ever been an issue for you? Um, Well, more recently it has. I mean, I've always, you know, as a nutritionist, I've always known about the importance of bone health. And it's an area that I've worked with some clients on improving, Uh, you know, people that maybe come to me with osteoporosis and uh, wanting to prevent it, or maybe they've got a family history of osteoporosis and they want to get ahead of the game. Um, But I sort of assumed that my bone health would be okay because, you know, I've got healthy diets and I run and I do Pilates and yoga and I go out hiking and I go to the gym. So I've got a lot of good stuff going on. And, um, and I, so I, I sort of thought, well, I must be okay. But 
as you know, in December last year, I had a really silly accident. I slipped on some ice on the driveway. I fractured my wrist. And, um, you know, as part of the process at the hospital, anybody in, in my age range gets um, referred for a DEXA scan, um, which is the scan that assesses your bone mineral density. And um, and I was really I sort of a bit a little bit shocked to find out that I had osteoporosis. Um, so yeah, it sort of was a bit of a wake up call for me, really. Yeah, absolutely. And what do you think may have led to you being diagnosed with osteoporosis, Haley? Yeah, well, I suppose you know, looking back, um, I didn't really understand the importance of nutrition and exercise related to bone health until I was in my forties. You know, I'm, I'm quite open with everybody that I was led quite an unhealthy life up until then, to be honest. And so that was probably the underlying reason, you know, through my 20s, 30s and until my mid-40s, I hadn't really paid that much attention to my my health and well-being. And um, so my bone mineral density could well have been low as I was approaching those perimenopausal and menopausal years. Um, But then you know, to try and make myself feel better. And I'm sure it, it was the case because I've really looked after myself in the last sort of 10 to 15 years. Uh, it's quite possible that I've slowed down any bone loss. So maybe it's not as bad as it would have been if I hadn't done anything. Um, you know, and my diagnosis is not terribly bad. You know, it was a 10% uh, risk of future fracture. So that wasn't too bad. Um so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm feeling relatively positive about it. Um, you know, well, prefer not to have it, but realistically, most women of my age probably have got some bone deterioration, and it just really I feel lucky that I know um, and that I know now, so that I can really focus on you know my muscles and my bones, so that I can be as healthy as strong as possible uh, going forward, and particularly focusing on my balance, so that I'm not at risk of falling, which is obviously a big problem as you get older so yeah I feel quite lucky that I know and it's not something I'm going to find out in my 70s you know and it might be too late to do something about it then so Mm. I'm in a positive place to take action what about you Karen what's your situation yeah well actually my story is fairly similar to yours Aileen because I was in my 40s um, when I was diagnosed with osteopenia. Um, Now that was following a stress fracture diagnosis actually and um, from the result of a cycling accident and again due to my age group I was given a DEXA scan and that's when it showed up that I did have the the osteopenia. So again like you since the diagnosis I feel in a way that it like you that it's great that I've been able to find out I've got it at this stage because I can do something about it so I've really sort of but I now really think about um, my nutrition and um, and also supplements as well, sort of giving me the the building blocks for bone, so that it's still the body still producing it itself and doing it itself, and I'm just giving it the building blocks. But I think, you know, when I think back of what potentially is the reason for me having that diagnosis and. Really, I've been vegetarian since I was 15. And when I turned 15, I knew very little about a diet, nutrition, um, a healthy diet as a vegetarian. And coming from 
sort of the northeast of Scotland, it wasn't a huge concept up there. I don't think it was anywhere really at that time. You know, there were some people who were vegetarians and vegans, but it wasn't as popular, certainly, as it is um, today. So I think it was a lack of knowledge. Um, So therefore, I had a very unhealthy vegetarian diet. It was very high in carbs and refined carbs. Um, And it wasn't really until I started doing the course, the the nutrition course that we did together, Aileen, that I had a bit of a wake up call and was thinking, oh my goodness, my diet, I need to change it. And since then, it's just gone from strength to strength, my diet. So hopefully my bones are going from strength to strength as well. So, um, but time will tell. I did actually try and go back to my GP and get another DEXA scan, but they were having none of it. They said, no, no, unless you've got another fracture, we won't do it for another do you know, I think it's is it every five years they do it. I can't remember. So I'll yeah. just have to wait. I think it's different for different people. Yes. They said to me that they would um, mark me for a, a scan in three years' time. Um, so I think it might be different for each uh, okay. health authority. Um, but it's quite a yeah. long period to wait, isn't it? It is. It is because you want to know if what you're doing is making a difference mm. or do you still need to be making further changes? So it would be it would be nice to know. But anyway, we just have to keep up the good work, Aileen. Mm-hmm. So just let's move on now and introduce um, our topic. So like we say, it's about bone health um, for runners. And we're going to be looking at different areas, but specifically we'll be discussing what makes healthy bones and what are the causes of bone stress fractures in runners and then looking at how nutrition and lifestyle factors can promote healthy bone. Now, we're just going to give um, you an overview today um, because there will be a follow-up episode because there's so much information regarding bone health and nutrition and lifestyle for bone health that Aileen and I have decided to split it into to, to part one and part two. So in part two, we will look um, much closer at nutrition, but we'll give you a flavour of it today. So Aileen, um, moving swiftly on to that first part about what makes healthy bones, um, given your, our, well, both our experiences actually and our age, um, at what age do you feel that we have to start looking after bone health? Well, well, I think bone health is important at every age. Um, you know, we probably all know, but maybe don't recognize uh, or it's not top of mind that we grow our bones as a child and as a teenager and we do reach that peak bone mineral density uh, by our late 20s and sort of age late 20s early 30s Um, so having really good nutrition for bone health during those years is crucial Uh, most people will be aware that bone mineral density decreases uh, with age uh, from about 40 years older and especially during the menopausal years and that might be the the time of life where it leads us to osteopenia and osteoporosis and really the difference between the two is I suppose osteopenia is just the the precursor stage before it would develop into osteoporosis. So it's just like a different stage, really. Um, and often, as we said earlier, you know, you, you can have this condition and not know about it and it will go undetected until you maybe have a fall or a fracture. You know, I know somebody who was in her 90s who recently was diagnosed with osteoporosis and she didn't know she had it until she just had a, a fracture. So, 
you know, the likelihood is she's had it for 40 years and not known about it. Um, so I, I would say, you know, if you're a parent or a grandparent, helping the youngsters in your life really appreciate how they can promote bone health would be a great thing uh, because the more you can do in early life, um, the, you're setting yourself up for, uh, you know, a healthy future. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as an adult, Aileen, um, do you think it's possible to correct the potential damage from earlier years when maybe you weren't so health conscious thinking about, you know, my situation and just general youngsters because they don't tend to think about their bone health at that time? Do you think it's possible to protect, uh, to sort of correct that potential damage? Well, I mean, I think it's never too late to make changes with any aspect of your health. Um, with regards to bone health, I mean, it might be difficult to totally reverse um, bone mineral density status, um, but we can certainly take nutritional and lifestyle measures that will slow slow it down. Um, I mean, there is some um, research going on at the moment about um, the possibility of reversing it, but I'm not going to go into that at the moment. But you know, there there are some uh, some things going on that that might you know, show us that there's some cases where that can happen. Um, but if you think about bone remodeling, which is basically the the bone uh, repairing and replacing all the time, um, that that's a process that happens all the time. So it's happening throughout our life our life stages. You know, all the way through to to older age, um, and it's one that involves the different types of bone cells and phases. And it's a long process. It, you know, it, it can go on for months and years. So it's like a cycle that we go through. Um, so looking after that cycle all the time is really going to be helpful. Um, and what happens is that the, there's a, the bone remodeling process breaks down old bone and rebuilds new bone. And it's important that we have the correct balance. That's key so that we're not losing old bone quicker than we're replacing new bone. Um, and so the balance is the key to having strong, healthy bones. And it's really important to think of bone as a living tissue. So we often think about bone as being hard and inert, you know, and we grow it when we're young and then it's there and it doesn't change. But actually, it's changing all the time. There's a lot going on. It's a real living tissue. Um, and in more recent years, we've started thinking about bone tissue as being an endocrine organ. So that means it's a hormonal organ and it's sending out chemical messages and it can interact with other body systems so i really like to think about that and then everything i'm doing for it, i can imagine that the cells and the tissues are, are regenerating all the time and it, it sort of encourages me to keep doing good things gosh it's such a fascinating subject isn't it and with that in mind can you explain a bit more about the different cells you were speaking about cells generally but can you tell us a, a bit more about the different cells that cells that are involved in that remodeling process yeah so um the cell types that people may have heard of are the osteoclasts and the osteoblasts and they'd be less well known are cells called osteocytes and there's also bone lining cells so there's four uh, key cells that are involved so the osteoclasts are the ones that um, degrade the dysfunctional and old bone um, and they break down um, the bone minerals um, and that releases calcium and phosphorus into the bloodstream. And that also can happen when the body has insufficient 
calcium from the diet. And, and what will happen is that if the body, because calcium is used for lots of different um, processes in the body. So if we're not um, eating enough or we're um, not retaining enough calcium in the system and the body needs calcium, it'll pull on the calcium um, from the bone. And then that's obviously not going to be good for bone health. Um, so that's that's the role of the osteoclasts. They're the breaking down ones. And then the osteoblasts, they're the cells which rebuild um, bone. So they replace the dysfunctional bone. And these two cells sort of work in tandem, sometimes um, called coupling. So they have this uh, relationship where they're working together to keep your bone healthy. Um, the other cells, the, the bone lining cells to begin with, they, these are really interesting ones. So they cover the inactive bone surfaces and they house these really important uh, microscopic channels, which allow, um, nutrients and to go into the bone cells and also, uh, or into the bone tissue. And also it helps remove the waste. So the old, um, bone cells have to be disposed of. So these little channels are really important in these bone lining cells because they're uh, delivering nutrition and they're removing waste. Um, and then, um, another important thing is that there might be some people listening who maybe are on medications. And, uh, it's been found that, um, certain classes of medications, uh, the bisphosphonates and the, uh, glutocorticoid medications, um, can, um, reduce the number of bone lining cells. So if, if that happens, that means that you may be not having enough nutrition getting in and you're not able to get rid of the waste. So that's, you know, a slight problem for you. Um, and it just sort of compromises that process. Um, and then the fourth type of cells are the osteocytes, um, and they're found in the bone matrix, which this is really interesting, I think, because this is where you, you think about the bone cells as being, uh, you know, live and not inert. They're actually doing jobs for us. And what these osteocytes, one of their roles is, is they act as sensors and they monitor the mechanical stress that we put on our bones and they respond and react to change, uh, particularly in the amount and direction of the stress load that we're putting on. And so that promotes the renewal of bone, of bone in areas of stress. So it's actually these little cells are working out where we need to replace bone um, and where that's really important. So I think that's quite a clever job that they do. Yeah, I think it's really amazing, Aileen. And this would be where we can understand the reason why regular weight-bearing exercise is seen to be essential. So that exercise will stress the areas more susceptible to the risk of fracture, is what I'm picking up from what you're saying. So including exercises such as yoga and Pilates potentially would naturally create stress on that bone structure in, in different places because we're using every part of our body in that Pilates and, and yoga session. So would that be right, Aileen, if I picked that yeah, up? Yeah, totally right, Karen. And, and, you know, I think, you know, in the past, really, when I've done yoga and Pilates, I've just been thinking about flexibility and muscles and mm. haven't really thought about what, what how it works on um, my bone structure. So, Again, it's just really interesting to know that. And I think it's, it just helps you show up and do these exercises and know yeah. that you're doing a great job with them. Um, in fact, there's been, um, 
and there's an American doctor, Dr. Lauren Fishman. He's done a lot of work in this area and he's a, you know, a musculoskeletal specialist and has got decades of experience uh, working with lots of different people. And the last 10 to 12 years, he's developed something called the Fishman Protocol, which is a sort of a yoga and Pilates based exercise program to support bone health. And, um, He's really worth checking out. He's got books, he's got videos, and, and he trains people in this um, this type of exercise so that they can deliver it to people as well. So, um, you know, that's uh, a good one to check out. So you can find him just by Googling him. Uh, so that's Dr. Lauren Fishman. Um, so the, the other thing about the the bone remodeling process is, is just to think about the the different phases that this works in. So um, there are three phases. There's the inactivation phase, a resorption phase, and a bone formation phase. And as I said earlier, this is a continual process that goes on throughout our life. And so we've got to really think about nutrition and exercise and healthy lifestyle factors throughout our life to, to really have a healthy bone um, system. Um, and just a little fact here that it's believed that 10% of the skeleton is renewed annually and that there's a seven to 10 year bone turnover cycle. So, you know, if you think every 10 years in your life, the bone is renewed, you know, obviously it's in little tiny bits every day. Um, but that's, that's what's going on. And obviously we've got different requirements at different times of our life. Um, so it's a long, slow, uh, process, but it's one that needs nurtured all the time. Yeah, it is. And it's really fascinating to think what is going on all the time and we can't see it. And, you know, and this isn't mm. just for, um, for bone health, but everything. But the fact, you know, you're saying that, that 10% of the skeleton is, is renewed annually and that there's a whole whole cycle every seven, ten, seven to ten years of bone. I think that's really fascinating information. So Aileen, just moving on um, slightly, what, what, what would be the female factors that you would pull out from, um, from this regarding bone health? What do you think are the female factors here? Yeah, well, the female factors cover all stages of life. Um, we've already touched on, you know, babies and children. Um, but thinking about the teenage years, um, you know, and this is, you know, for um, males and females, um, but particularly it's an issue, I think, for women, um, because we want to make sure that we reach our peak bone mineral density um, during our sort of teens and 20s. So that there is a big concern um you know, at the moment in, in our time is that children and teenagers drink a lot of soft, fizzy drinks. And these drinks contain phosphoric acid, which can leach calcium from the bones. So that the concern is that um, because we drink so many soft, soft drinks um, that maybe, you know, in our era, we didn't, you know, you might get a soft drink once a week, whereas I think now children are drinking them every day. Um, the concern is that they might not reach peak bone mineral density. So they're actually starting with a lower status of bone health than is optimal. So that's something that, um, you know, is, is an interesting thing to consider. And, you know, parents might want to think about how they could uh, persuade their um, teenagers particularly to take that on board. I know that's going to be a difficult one. Um, 
another you're laughing there but yes I am yes yes thank thank my children don't eat drink fizzy drinks I'm very lucky but uh, but I know that it is a huge issue for for many parents um, trying to get Mm. their children to at least limit the amount that they have yeah absolutely Um, so just going, sort of, um, you know, we talked about the children, but also there's another area that I think is really important for um, for women in the uh, childbearing age group. So thinking about pregnancy and breastfeeding. Um, so during pregnancy, the baby needs calcium to grow bones, and it will get the calcium via the mother's nutrition, or it will draw it from the mother's bones, uh, particularly in the last three months of pregnancy. So you know, this is, um, you know, a natural process and it's one that every pregnant woman um, will go through. But it appears that um, pregnant women appear to absorb calcium better than non-pregnant women. So I think nature's way is like, we need extra calcium. So we're going to really help you absorb as much calcium from your food as you can so that you can give it to the baby. Um, and during pregnancy, we produce more estrogen, which also helps help protect bone health um so it's not something to worry about because bone mass is usually restored after you know several months after childbirth and after the breastfeeding phase is completed Uh, but again it's just interesting to know this and it's key to pay attention to your nutritional requirements as i'm sure most women do uh, during pregnancy yeah, and I think it just shows, this shows how clever the body is. You know, yes, more, more, um, calcium is being leached from the bones for the fetus, but it's better, the body becomes better at absorbing it. You know, it's just so clever, isn't it? Mm. So, um, so that's sort of the younger years, the teenage years, and then sort of women in childbearing years. What about the, the older lady, the, the, the later mm. years of a woman's life? What would you say there? health. Yeah, well, I think there's two phases. So there's sort of the peri and menopausal years. And, and I think most women are aware that estrogen declines in the menopausal years. So estrogen's role with bone health is it, it promotes the osteoblast activity. So those are the cells that create bone growth and renewal. So when the estrogen levels drop during menopause, the osteoblasts aren't able to effectively promote that bone growth and and this is the reason why you know it's thought that this is a key reason that bone mineral density declines during those menopausal years um so that's where all the um nutrition and lifestyle factors are even more key to to help slow down that decline and then for the women who are sort of post menopausal so the probably the 60s and older uh, potentially, you know, they, they have got the lower bone mineral density. They might have osteopenia or osteoporosis. And often nutrient status tends not to be as optimal during these years. And that might be due to diet, but also maybe due to digestion. Cause as we get older, our digestive uh, system gets a little bit suppressed and it's a bit more difficult to absorb the nutrients that we need from our food plan. Potentially, we're doing less weight bearing exercise and maybe less balance related exercise. And that might have a knock on problem because if, as I said earlier, if the balance is poor, then you've got a higher risk of falling and having fractures. And then the healing process takes longer. Um, so that's where, 
again, you know, the longer people can exercise and promote balance is going to be really important because, you know, once you've had one fall and one fracture, you've got a higher risk of having more. Um, so it's really important that older women take care of nutrition and exercise in those years. Absolutely. And then just again, bringing back in, I'm thinking about the Pilates and yoga again. You know, we spoke about it from the bone health. We usually look at it from a muscle point of view, don't we, keeping the muscles strong. Now you mentioned about how important it is for bone health, but also for the balance aspect of it as well. So I think as as we get older, maybe the likes of Pilates and yoga become more important as part of our exercise routine. So just yeah, and I think I balance think. is. Yeah, absolutely, Karen. And I, I think balance is really important for a runner too. I, I do a lot of balance type exercises, and and the the benefit for that is that if you do stumble, you're more easy to correct yourself without having an injury and without falling as well. So I think that's another good reason um, for doing it. You know, yeah, as absolutely. as we are now. Mm. Yes, definitely. So so just to kind of round up what you've been saying here, Aileen, I think what, what I picked up is that really it's vital for us to be looking after our bone health from a really young age, right through to being an older person, sort of um, in midlife through into to old age. And also that it's important that we do look after our skeleton, even though we can't see it, because there's so much going on all the time behind the scenes. Mm. So, yeah, I think this is such a fascinating subject. Um, so let's move on now to thinking about the causes of bone stress fractures and looking at it specifically for runners. Eileen, could you start off maybe by telling us what is a bone stress injury? How would you define that? Yeah, um, yeah, a BSI. If you if you read it anywhere, you'll you'll see it, um, you know, shortened to BSI. So you know, we've said fractures, but actually, bone stress injury, I think, is more of the uh, common term that people use. So basically, it's something that occurs when there's repeated mechanical load to a bone that doesn't have the ability to withstand the load. So if you've not got a strong bone and you keep um, adding stress and pressure to it, then it's it's going to result in an injury, basically. And it's thought that um, these injuries are, there's a number of different factors that can affect these injuries. And they're categorized into two categories, extrinsic factors and intrinsic factors. And the extrinsic factors are the factors related to the load that we apply to the bone and the intrinsic factors are related to the strength of the bone. Um, so there's actually a, a spectrum of injury. So if, if you ever have a bone um, stress injury, and if you, depending on how it's um, diagnosed and, and assessed, if it's if it's um, it's usually diagnosed by um, an MRI scan, um, and that can be detected as early as a week into having an injury. Um, and if it, if it, that is the case, the medical profession will um, grade your injury. Um, so it goes from a, a grade zero up to a grade four B, and the grade zero uh, starts with it being normal, and a grade one so it shows swelling outside the bone, and then it, it goes grade two, grade three, which is swelling uh, in the bone marrow, and then grade four and above is where you've actually got a fracture. 
Um, so the grading is quite important because that can help estimate the amount of time you need off from running um, so that you've got, you know, what sort of time frame you likely need to heal and recover. Um, and as I said earlier, it's usually diagnosed by an MRI scan. Um, and I'm not sure how easy it is for, you know, a recreational runner to get an MRI scan for something like that. But I'm sure for, um, you know, athletes who are more professional, uh, they probably have access to that kind of screening a little bit more easily. Um, so I know you said earlier, Karen, that you've, you've had a stress fracture. How is it? How did you have it diagnosed? Yeah, well, interestingly, Aileen, that was diagnosed using an x-ray. Um, and I think probably, you know, because you were saying it's, it's, it's usually an MRI. And I think, yeah, possibly maybe in countries where you pay for, I'm thinking of the US here, maybe in the US you would get an MRI scan because you're paying for your medical care. Whereas with the NHS, it does tend to be more sort of x-rays that are used. And I think depending on how severe the the fracture is will depend on whether it shows up in an x-ray or not but anyway mine did and basically I was just given a, a medical boot for six weeks and sent on my way you know there was no additional support there um, and I really like the idea of the BSI grading especially linked to running when you think where depending on where your grade is will depend on will decide how long you need off of running. I really like that idea, but it wasn't something that was that was offered to me at all. I was just given the boot and told to keep it on for six weeks and um, and then I could go back running. So, and I clearly knew that it wasn't quite as simple as that. So I, empl I employed my, my personal trainer and also um, my sports injury spe specialist to, to really help me to rehabilitate from it. And also just looking at my own nutrition and my supplement supplement plan as well really helped with my recovery and I think I probably recovered fairly quickly from it so yeah I think it like you say I think it's different um for for athletes professional athletes they probably would be able to have MRI scans and and maybe in different countries where um the the plans the medical plans are different they may have that um that access but with the NHS, it is X-rays. So, mm. um, so, so just thinking about uh, the BSIs, what, what what is the likelihood of a runner? Oh, I've experienced it, but what do you think the likelihood of a runner experiencing this is? Well, it's quite high, actually. Um, I've read a few studies. There was one study that looked at um, competitive track and field athletes who were young adults, so college sort of age group. And they, they assess that 20% of all musculoskeletal injuries, um, in that group was, um, related to BSIs. And uh, another study, uh, estimated 10% of all overuse running injuries were BSIs. So that, that's quite high. Mm, um, there has been some more recent studies, um, in adult ultra runners. Um, but, they're sort of like in the last couple of years. So there's not a lot of evidence base there. Um, but it's thought that BSIs are in the top two running injuries alongside Achilles tendonitis. Um, and I remember us talking about that on the episode, which was about, um, 
preventing running injury. I think that was episode 16 or 17. So I'll, I'll make a link of that in the show notes. Um, so thinking about where people get BSIs, and again, I think, Karen, you mentioned this in, in that previous episode, but half of um, bone stress injuries in long-distance runners, which most of us would fall into that category, occur in the tibia, so that's the shin bone. And the majority of other BSIs, so the other 50%, uh, are split between other areas, and they tend to be the lower limb. So... Um, you know, it tends to be uh, the calf bone and the heel and the metatarsals, although that you do sometimes get stress injuries in the femur and the thigh area. Um, so those are the, the key places that you might find that you get a, a bone stress injury. Yeah, and I think the ones to the tibia, probably um, people would know them more um, through the name shin splints. Um, mm. that does tend to hit that sort of um, tibia area where you've got that pain and inflammation, not necessarily an actual fracture as such, but like you say, an injury to that area, alien. So people yeah. might know where it more as shin splints. Yeah. So I've, I've had both. Sorry. Yeah, I've have had you? both, Aileen. I've, I have had shin splints, um, I think just once actually. Um, and that is really painful. Oh my goodness. Um, and then my, my stress fracture was actually, um, on the metatarsal. Yeah. Mm. So, so in the, in the toe, toe area or the foot area. Okay. So, Aileen, getting back on track, you, you, earlier you mentioned the extrinsic factors and intrinsic factors being related to BSIs. So what, what are these? Can you explain them a bit more to us? Yeah, so the extrinsic factors um, are all about, uh, remember we talked about the force that you put through. Um, so if you think about bio biomechanical factors, so the force you hit the ground, what your gait's like, for example, that, that would be one factor. And then thinking about your training, so the duration, the mileage, the frequency, uh, the speed and the intensity all would have a, an effect on that. That's uh, stress load. Um, and then also failure to schedule rest and recovery. You know, we always talk about how important that is. So that could also be um, factors that you would include when you're thinking about these extrinsic reasons uh, for BSIs. Yeah, I'm also thinking, Aileen, um, others may include the likes of muscle strength and endurance. And, and maybe also the training surfaces and terrain, um, even footwear that people um, use. Um, mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I think they're all, mm. you know, they all play a part. And, you know, there's never one, just one reason for something is that there's always a combination of factors. And I think a lot of them are modifiable, aren't they? You know, it's just yeah. that you've got to be aware of them and think, well, what can I do? Um in fact, I posted a very funny video yesterday on our Facebook group. I don't know whether you saw it. Um, it was, uh, it was just a funny video of somebody doing, uh, all these different styles of running. And, you know, we've all, they were very exaggerated. Um, mm -hmm. you know, all the, all the things that people can do wrong. Um, yes. but it just made me giggle because I thought often when you're out running, you see people running in a funny way and you think, Oh, I wish they would know how to do that better because they're going to cause themselves problems. You know, some of which I've probably done myself in the past, but I think it's yeah. always good to have somebody to 
observe you and give you feedback on what you're doing. Absolutely. And I think that gait analysis, you like you say, going to somebody professional, having the gait analysis done and then being given the, the correct shoes for your gait, I think can can really support people in many ways with this potential, you know, looking at these extrinsic factors. So, um, yeah, so so lots of things for people to bear in mind and, like you say, modifiable changes that people can make. So, Aileen, let's just now have a look at the intrinsic factors. What can you tell us about those? Yeah, so um, they would be, I mean, your genetics play a part. Uh, you know, we've all got different genetics that might uh, predispose us to um, certain injuries. Um, and then we, we're really important to think about your energy intake related to your energy requirements. And we've discussed this a lot in other episodes, but it's all about consuming enough food and calories to meet your body requirements for the whole array of physiological processes, as well as your exercise and training requirements. Um, so that's key for good health. Um, but particularly thinking about the processes that include the growth and maturation of, of bone formation. So, you know, we've got to think that when we're feeding ourselves, we're not just feeding ourselves to get to the end of the run. We're feeding all of these processes in our body for everything. And there's been quite a lot of research done around the negative or potentially negative effect of bone health related to the female athlete triad and the red s the reduced energy deficit syndrome which again is a topics that we we've talked about in the past um so you know that's just another another insight into why it's important to eat um the right amount of um, food for your energy requirements and i think the other aspect is to think about your nutrient status and you need to have the correct nutrient building blocks for bone remodeling all the time, basically. But then if you do have an injury like you would to say, Karen, you know, you mm. adapted and probably up leveled your, you know, your normally very good nutrition, but you did extra things to really Absolutely. give the bones enough to, um, to heal. Um, so yeah, that, those would be the big ones that I would say are, are really important. Yeah, as we're sort of speaking, I'm thinking again about that hormonal status. You spoke about it earlier. Um, but um, I think that that sort of female factors, which are, are hormonally linked, I think is really important. And also looking at physical activity in addition to running. What else are you doing to promote that good musculoskeletal health? Um, you know, there is a possibility that muscle tightness caused by muscle injury may also contribute to, to the stress on the bone. And that in itself, again, could lead to BSI. And, um, so that muscle tightness, but also maybe ligament and tendon as well. So it's important to, to be considering the whole of that musculoskeletal system, including the soft tissue as well as the bone. And also, again, medications. You mentioned medications earlier, Aileen, and, and some are linked to um, lowering bone mi mineral density, for example, the, the biphosphonates. Um, and they're often prescribed for bone disorders, interestingly. So, you know, a bit of 
contradiction there? Are they potentially being counterproductive? And also there's the glucocorticoids that you mentioned as well, and they're used to generally to, to reduce inflammation and suppress the immune system. But there's also the likes of um, some of the cancer drugs, the PPI, so those protein pump inhibitors used to manage stomach acid. So all of these are potentially going to, to have an impact on bone as well. And, um, and also, uh, it might be just about having less calcium absorption. So, so looking at the protein pump inhibitor specifically, I would say, you know, it could be that there's less calcium being absorbed from the food because the, um, the gastric acid is being suppressed. So all these things to, uh, need to be taken into consideration and also some um, contraceptives as well, especially long-term use of, um, of them. And there's one in particular I'm thinking of, which is um, Depo Prevero, Prevero, which is an injectable form of the, of the contraceptive and that potentially can have an impact on bone health as well. So there's, there's a huge amount to, to be considering um, here regarding um, both the extrinsic factors and the intrinsic factors. So just sort of rounding up, Aileen, um, I would say that BSI can end a, a running season or career really for somebody, um, especially if you if they keep running on it. So it's really, it's clearly prevention is better than cure, but it's really important to I think to start thinking and observing for any symptoms and if any niggles, then um, then have it checked out and um, and sort of um, get the treatments and the rest that's required. So before we go any further, Aileen, we're to, to look on to the we're going to go and look at the um, nutrition aspects of it. We're just going to take a pause from our conversation and have a short break, advert break. Great. Okay. So, um, yeah, we always take a few minutes just at this point of the episode just to have a little advert break. Um, as you know, um, you know, Karen and I run the Runners Health Hub and, and the Runners Health Hub um, supports us in producing the podcast and uh, bringing that to you every week. Um, and we, we offer a range of services uh, within Runners Health Hub to help you be a fitter, faster and stronger runner. So usually we talk about, um, our online program here, which is Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners. Uh, but we thought we'd share with you something new that we're um, doing at the moment. So just to uh, give you a, a heads up and tell you what's coming soon. Um, so over the last few months, we've been doing quite a lot of research around the nutrition and lifestyle challenges experienced particularly by women in our Facebook group. And, uh, you know, we ask them questions when they join the group and we find out what their challenges are. And what we've realized is that the topics we cover in the podcast episodes are really well received and we got, got lots of positive feedback. But the missing link for many of our followers is how to put it all into practice and that they'd really like some direct input from us while they do it. So some help with coaching them and getting everything into place. So um, behind the scenes, we've been busy designing um, our method, which we call the Healthy Woman, Healthy Runner method. 
and we're going to be offering some free training um, for our listeners and our followers. So if you are somebody who's getting frustrated with the health challenges of being a midlife runner, uh, we'd love to invite you to some free uh, live uh, Zoom hosted online training. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to put the link in our show notes and we're going to put it at the top of the show notes so you don't have to um, look too far for them. And uh, you can register for that training. And we're going to be doing some um, towards the end of July and also some um, towards the end of August, early September. So there's a couple of opportunities for you to join us. Um, and uh, if you if you can't find it on the show, night, show notes, just either email us at hello at Runners Health Pub or messages uh, via Facebook and we'll, we'll send you the link. Um, so we, we really feel it's our mission to help you be a healthy woman, healthy runner for many years to come. Uh, so we really hope that as many of you as possible will join us on that free training, which will be live and uh, you can get a chance to find out about our, our method and also get a chance to ask some questions um, if you'd like to do that too. So, um, so that, that brings us to the end, Karen, and uh, we're, we're ready to move on, I think. Thank you, Aileen. So now we're going to move on and talk about the final point for today. So looking at nutrition and lifestyle factors, and just to remind everybody, this will be a bit of an overview today. And then we're going to dedicate part two to looking at the nutrition and lifestyle factors in more depth. So, so we've kind of established that it's really important to keep our bones healthy and, um, and indeed, potentially nutrition and lifestyle factors could help improve bone health. And linked to that, we're just going to sort of look at two key areas today. Those being um, providing optimum vitamins and minerals to promote the bone remodeling process that Aileen's been telling us about. And then look at how we can minimize exposure to negative dietary and lifestyle factors and environmental toxins that may uh, be sort of harmful to bone health. So Aileen, to begin with, could you um, maybe give an overview of the vitamins and minerals that we would need to be considering for optimal bone health? Yes, yeah, of course. So I'm just going to highlight these nutrients. And as you said, we're going to take a deeper look in uh, in part two. So th there's a few things that we have to consider. And one of the considerations is inflammation. And that will be different for everybody depending on, um, you know, what's going on with their health at, at a particular time. Um, but high levels of inflammation can drive um, the, the processes that lower bone density. So using uh, foods and some uh, supplements that contain um, anti-inflammatory components such as um, essential fatty acids. So I'm particularly thinking about um, EPA, fish oil, and things like ginger and curcumin, which is from uh, turmeric. They would be very supportive to include in a food plan. Um, another high priority is really thinking about the nutrient deficiencies and how you optimize nutrient status of the key bone building vitamins and minerals, uh, which um, are calcium, vitamin D and magnesium, and also a whole host of trace elements, which are vital in the bone remodeling process. So um, sometimes what people do is they really focus in on calcium and they forget about all of these other 
vitamins and minerals that are really important. So we'll, we'll go into those in a bit more detail next time. Um, I think it's really important also to look at another, um, important aspect of bone tissue, which is collagen. And collagen is really important because it provides this interior scaffolding where the bone minerals are deposited. And that results in the bones matrix and the bone density being, um, you know, as strong as it, it needs to be. So from a nutritional point of view, it might be useful to look at adding in a collagen powder supplement or at, at least checking that you've got all the building blocks to make collagen um, through your normal body uh, processes. So that those would be silicon, vitamin D and protein. So you'd want to make sure that they were optimal in your food plan. Um, so those are some of the key things that I would um, start looking at. Yeah, I would agree with that, Aileen. I think all of those um, vitamins and minerals plus the collagen are really important. But what about um, female hormones? Should we be looking at that? And should we also be considering um, digestion and absorption? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Karen. These are really important areas to take into account. So, you know, you can't underplay hormonal balance enough. Um, it's really important. We've mentioned the role of the role of estrogen, um, which protects against bone loss by reducing the osteoclast production, so that's the bone breaking down production. Um, so, from a nutritional point of view, what we'd be doing would be looking at how to balance uh, hormones and, and promote um, a good hormonal balance, and we do that using phytoestrogenic supplements and foods within a food plan to support that. And yeah, you're quite right. You know, as we said earlier, digestion is really, really vital. Uh, what, you know, whatever you eat, you've got to be able to fully digest and break down and assimilate so that these vital nutrients can um, be used um, correctly. Um, so it would be a shame to have a really healthy diet and then just not be using it correctly. Um, so looking at, you know, a nutritionist would assess digestive function and perhaps um, think about what we could use to help people digest uh, food better if, if stomach acid was low. Um, so we'd maybe look at using HCL betaine or um, also digestive enzymes for some people. And that would help maximize that calcium absorption as well as other nutrients. So, yeah, those two areas are really key as well, Karen. Great. Thanks, Aileen. I think that's a really, you've given us a really great sort of quick but concise overview of the nutritional factors. And I know that you're going to be sharing more of this information in uh, part two of this episode. But before we finish today, could you possibly tell us a little bit about how we could minimize the exposure to the negative dietary and lifestyle factors and environmental toxins that could affect our bone health? Yeah, well, the key things to eliminate are or minimize uh, would be smoking, alcohol, and also a highly processed diet, which is low in nutrients. Um, so that's been described in, in more recent years as what they call type two, uh, oh, sorry, type B malnutrition. So it's really, you know, the a poor quality Western diet, so highly processed foods with that isn't nutrient dense. So you know, again, people know that we talk about this all the time. It's really important to get good quality food so that your choice, the choices you make uh, are nutrient dense. 
And we've talked a lot about exercise and activity. And, you know, that's a really important lifestyle factor. Um, and obviously, as runners, we do exercise a lot, but it's important that we do the right type of supportive exercise alongside our running. Um, and obviously, the other lifestyle factor is to think about stress because stress can be an inflammation driver. So sometimes that's an underlying factor that needs to be addressed in people's health and well-being. So thinking about the physical and the mental stressors and managing them is all part of a healthy bone approach, I would say. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Aileen, I'm thinking about um, environmental toxins as well. What, what regarding environmental toxins, what should we all be considering? Yeah, well, again, I think it's a very similar message to previous episodes when we've talked about environmental toxins that are in our food chain and also just that we're exposed to on a day-to-day basis. Um, and they either potentially alter the nutrient status of the food or they disrupt, disrupt how our bodies work. Um, so they, you know, they can have quite a detrimental effect. Um, so we talked earlier about the importance of having a high nutrient status of bone building vitamins and minerals. So we, when we're thinking about our diets, we have to ensure that we're eating good quality food. I mean, ideally organic, or we should minimize or eliminate the highly processed foods so that we're optimizing the nutrient pool available to us. That's the first really important thing to be uh, considering. And then something that maybe people don't think about a lot is um, the quality of our drinking water. So um, this is a tricky one to get right um, with regards to bone health because there's a danger that if all of our water is filtered, that we lose an important source of minerals in our drinking water. But on the flip side, if we're drinking, um, I'm sorry, I've lost my train of thought there. So if we, if we fill, if we're filtering water, we lose a lot of minerals. But if we're drinking unfiltered water, there is a potential that unfiltered water might con- contain fluorine and fluorine binds calcium and me- magnesium. And it also um, binds some bone enzymes, which um, help, um, which reduce bone forming activity. So again, it's like, you know, we're either getting too many toxins through our water that sort of limit our, how we're making our food bioavailable. Does that make sense, Karen? I sort of stumbled yeah. a little bit in my words there. No, no um, I absolutely understand um, what you mean. And it, it sounds as though we need the water for some minerals, but the water can contains um if it's not filtered contains some other elements that could be detrimental to bone so it's basically it's difficult to know whether we should be filtering our water or we shouldn't be filtering our water what do people do you know it can be really confusing um this kind of information can't it and so so what can people do really do you have any suggestions yeah, well, I think that the first thing you could do is uh, go about finding locally, can you do a test on your home tap water and see what it contains? And then you can make an assessment. Um, I mean, I, I'm not a purist, I have to say, with my approach. So I, I tend to, I drink a combination of filtered water and tap water. And, and I often say to clients, it's more important to have, to have water than not. So, you know, so if you need a glass of water and a tap soul that's available, then I think we're we're fortunate in our Western world to have reasonably healthy water in comparison to other countries. But 
you know, you, you can take a, a view, I think, once you know what your tap water contains. And there are um, tests available that you can send off a sample and find out what's in it. And then you can make decisions. And, and obviously, water is just one part of bone health approach. So if you if you're just somebody who's wanted to be generally healthy, you maybe don't have to worry about it as much. But if you're somebody who already knows that you've got a bone health disorder, it might be a really important part of your approach. Um, so you you might want to you know invest in a test and work out what's going on, and then also counterbalance your nutrient intake from food and supplements to make sure it's optimal. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you, Aileen. I think it is very much about just doing the best that you can do um, to, to support your bone and thinking if you do have any bone um, health issues, then just being more targeted in the changes and that, that you do. But if you're eating an overall healthy diet, then if you are drinking unfiltered water now and again, it's not um, a huge issue. And it's about drinking the, the filtered water when you can, but making sure you still drink because clearly dehydration has its own implications as well on health overall and potentially bones. So it is about doing the best that we can do. And it's about minimizing the negative things and maximizing the positive things that you're able to do. So, Aileen, do you have any final points before we sort of round up? Yeah, well, one point that I, I think is important to make, uh, we, we've talked quite a bit about medication today. And uh, so I think having a medication review with your health practitioner, if you are on any of these medications, uh, would be helpful. And just check out if any of your medication is either inhibiting your bone health or potentially a nutrient status. Um, you know, because often we, we take medication and we don't read the, you know, the forms that come with it to find out what's going on. And, or if we've been taking it for a number of years, we haven't really taken into account, uh, what other effects it might be having. Um, and as a nutritional therapist, it's not our role to suggest that you change your medication. However, we can offer medic, uh, sort of suggestions, um, from a nutritional point of view that would either help you um, minimize any nutrient depletions or symptoms related to your medication. So, um, you know, the message is don't change your medication, but take some, um, professional advice, um, to see what, what is, how it's affecting you and, and what you can do to optimize the benefits of taking the medication. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for that, Aileen. And I think you've given us a real teaser on what we can all do to to nutritionally support our bone health and what lifestyle factors we can consider as well to reduce the potential toxic elements as well. So I'm really looking forward to, to part two of this when we'll be looking at it in much more detail. So just before we close, Aileen, could you just give us some of your top takeaways from this episode? Yes, I, I will do. And I, I know it's been another long episode and I'm really glad we've split it into two because it is a really important topic. Um, but to start with, I think the message is look after your bones throughout every life stage. Think about nutrition and exercise and, and the lifestyle factors we've mentioned. Uh, eat a nutritionally dense food plant and don't undereat. Remember to eat to your energy requirements and also um, think about including bone building nutrients. Uh, remember to get the niggles and pains investigated. Don't run through them as they may cause long-lasting injury. 
do a variety of different exercises, particularly the weight-bearing exercises. So Pilates, yoga, and bar are all really helpful, and they'll promote bone building in all parts of the skeleton. Uh, remember to re- to address inflammation uh, alongside hormonal balance and digestion, and um, consider including the key nutrients. So what is the status of calcium, magnesium, vitamin D, collagen, and trace minerals, which obviously we'll go into more detail next time. Uh, minimize uh, your exposure to the negative aspects that we talked about. So the, um, the dietary and lifestyle factors and the environmental toxins. So here we're talking about smoking, alcohol, processed foods, and, and stress. Um, think about the potential toxins that are in your food, water, and environment. And finally, if you are on medication, periodically get a review to check the drugs and make sure they're not inhibiting the bone remodeling process. So, uh, so that's my top takeaways. Great. Thanks, Aileen, so much for that. And I think this is such an important topic for all women. And we really look forward to part two. And remember, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases. <music>